0: Hey, good morning everyone, glad you're having fun. Hey, there's a vicious rumor in the church and I have to quell it right now. Okay, there's a question of loyalties and where I stand. <laughs> and I want you to know I am all in on the Hawks. Go Hawks! Alright, there we go. Alright. Yes, I did grow up in Green Bay and my two favorite teams are playing, but the way we crush them, I hope. We have salmon and cheese bets going on this with my brothers, and I hate losing to them. So this is a good deal. All right. Hey, good to see you this morning. It's a big day in Seattle. It's a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy it with your family and friends. Um, We uh, are in First Thessalonians, and we're doing a brand new series. It just started last week. We did the backdrop. Thanks so much for feedback last week. A lot of you said that was really meaningful. You had not thought about Paul trying to walk from Philippi to Thessalonica with his back whipped and realized, boy, it's not just he floated on a cloud of glory into Thessalonica. It was real stuff like we face and uh, really hard like we face. So I think that helps put that into context. So let's pray this morning and then we'll jump right into it because this is a bad Sunday for the pastor to be long-winded. So let's, (laughs) let's roll, all right? Father, we have a lot of fun. We're enjoying it. It's a big day in our area, and you know that. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom may rumble in the midst of all this. We seek you for you actually leading people to yourself today. We ask that um, you'd be at work in the midst of uh, all the chaos and all the noise and all the fun. May some deeper things roll out, and may uh, it just be a a, a great weekend for us. We seek for that. But uh, Lord, we know that... uh, your Word is precious. It contains great stuff. And Lord, one of the things he's going to talk about is the power of encouragement this morning. And I, I pray because I know a lot of us need encouragement. A lot of us um, wonder if we're going to make it. A lot of us wonder how we're going to make it through what we're facing. May we gain great confidence uh, from this morning, what Paul wrote to that church so long ago. Uh, the words still ring true today. And we pray for your blessing on it in your name. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians. We are cranking through that book uh, to Easter. I want to start again with the uh, map that we uh, had last week, just in case you're new or visiting this morning and you didn't track last week. This is a picture of uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, where you see Troas is what we would call modern-day Turkey, and where you see Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth is what we would call modern-day Greece. And in the setting of the story right now as we're talking, Paul is in Corinth. He's been there. He'll be in Corinth for about, they guess, uh, 18 months to two years. And while he's there, uh, he's wondering what has happened to the church that he planted in Thessalonica. He only had about three weeks, planted a church, got shipped out of town. Uh, They were fearful of his death. And so he went down by boat to uh, Athens, and then from Athens over to Corinth. He's waiting. And in the midst of this then, Um, silas and timothy come and bring him a good word about the church in thessalonica so as we pick this up then paul if you look at we're going to do verses two to ten this morning he begins the letter with a strong barrage of encouragement the whole thing if you read it just speaks and drips of encouragement all the way through. You know, when it comes to church and the Bible and stuff, uh, so many people are so negative on the Bible. Uh, you hear things like a bunch of do's and don'ts, hell, fire, and brimstone, uh, can't, should shouldn't boring, not relevant, etc., etc. But I think one of the most important things those people miss is that the number one reason when I think about why people spend time reading in the Bible, why they... Uh, spend time in the word reading, is to be encouraged. It's not about all that other stuff. It's about knowing that you can be encouraged. It's knowing that God um, is on your side. And we always need a huge dose of encouragement, don't you? Right? Just to keep going, just to stay with it, uh, to believe God will pop you out on the other side. And what could possibly be more encouraging than to be encouraged by God? To be encouraged by His Spirit. Uh, Things like this, that He's with you. That he's actually with you. That he cares about your present circumstances. That he's for you. Uh, Most of us believe God loves us, and we believe that because we believe he has to. Because he's God. Most of us have a very hard time thinking or believing that God likes us. Right? That he actually likes us. That he actually fashioned us. He actually knows who we are. And that he actually likes us. Wrap your head around that sometime and see where you go with that. That he sees what you do for him. That he will reward it. Many, many of you do all kinds of hidden things for Jesus that nobody ever sees. Have you ever been doing that stuff and going, gee, is it even worth it? What is this doing anyways? Am I really getting anywhere? And I want to say, yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I want to say with emphasis, yes, God sees the stuff you do behind the scenes. The little things, the big things, the hidden things, and they are big in his eyes. Keep doing them because that's where ministry takes place is when you say yes to the little things that Jesus has asked you to do. Be encouraged in that, that he's with you and he sees it. And Paul, when you look at this book, when he first opens up, he wanted to do this for the Thessalonian church. He wanted to encourage them. He knew what they had been through uh, up until he heard from Silas and Timothy. He wasn't even sure there was a church there anymore. So when he found out there was one and they were actually thriving, he was like, Yes. Keep going. Uh, Years ago, I read a a commentary on uh, First Thessalonians. This book right here, it's Harold Fickett. and You probably can't even find it anymore because it's this old. You can tell, right? That's really 70s print on there. And uh, but uh, the title of the book is it's a commentary on First and Second Thessalonians. And the title is Keep on Keeping On. And I have never forgot reading through this, and I have used uh, that phrase with other believers uh, for encouragement for years. A lot of times when I do emails, I'll I'll put on there, keep on keeping on, or I'll say, in his joy. And for me, it's just continually reminding us, stay with it. Don't give up, don't quit halfway through. And so if you're discouraged and you walked in this morning and you weren't sure how you are going to make it past this Sunday, be encouraged. Jesus has not forgotten you. He's with you. He will walk with you. And it's a good thing. Paul um, then starts to write. And I I want to personalize this because we often think when Paul wrote, he had in mind that he was writing theology, that he was this great apostle and he wanted to uh, give theology to the churches. And he did do that, right? Most of the theology we know in the New Testament comes from Paul. But it was, it was much more than that. Paul wasn't only just greatly relieved. He was uh, deeply encouraged himself. And he writes to encourage them. He anchors his encouragement with everything they have in Christ. You'll see this. He says, in Christ, you'll see that he anchors. He points them back in that direction. then. And think about how important it is from the Thessalonians perspective is what I mean. After all, he was the guy that got them into the mess in the first place, right? If Paul hadn't showed up in town and talked about the kingdom of God and the risen Christ, none of this rioting and beating up and throwing people in the prison, none of that would have actually even happened. And so they're like, oh great, you started this, now we're facing this, and then you booked town, right? You ever done that where somebody else got you into their mess and then they left and you had to clean it up, right? Yeah, and you're like, thanks a lot, buddy. Okay, kind of deal. And so Paul wanted them to know, hey, look, I I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't left you hanging. How encouraging for them to know that in spite of all they were going through, Paul was backing them by lifting them up in prayer and on a regular basis to boot. How cool is that knowing that, hey, I know what you're going through. I have been praying for you. You ever had a friend come up and just sincerely look at you and say, I know what you've been going through. I want you to know I've been praying for you. All right? Well, I think one of the best things we do uh, at church here uh, as a staff and as an elder board is we pray for you on a constant basis. Every staff meeting and every board meeting, the first usually about 45 minutes, give or take, depending on the week, is taken up with praying for the concerns within the body and praying for people as God highlights their different circumstances. Lift them up. Did you know that? A lot of times when you're the family of the week, all right, by the way, Ripkes, I know somebody famous, family of the week, all right? all right. When you're the family of the week, we pray for you in a special way because we believe that's really significant. And what's the biggest part about it? It's encouraging. It's encouraging to know when you have four kids that your pastors are praying for you, right? And when you're pulling your hair out of your head and going light, like, somebody's praying for you. All the other parents going, Yeah, we know how that feels, right? It, it just is a really thing. Paul was backing him, lifting him up in prayer. When you hit the fiery trials of life, and trust me, if you have not hit them, you will. They will come your way. Nothing is more encouraging than having a posse that prays with and for you. It's an absolute lifeline. And this is one of the main reasons we're encouraging community groups. Yesterday on Saturday, we met with all the community groups leader and just did a let's synchronize, and we walked through a bunch of questions and some great interaction. It really was fun. I walked away tremendously encouraged. Uh, But one of the reasons we're pushing community groups is so that you would have a group that you're a part of and our whole theme on that is don't do life alone. And the whole idea is there is that you have somebody who knows who you are and that they're praying with and for you. That you've got somebody who say, I know I could call them, and I know if I hit this, they would, they would pray for us. All right? And, boy, if you don't have anybody like that, the, the Christian life can be an awfully dark, long trail if you're all by yourself. Uh, there is no such thing, one friend told me, as a Christian Lone Ranger. You don't survive very well. So let's look at this as Paul's going through it. and We'll pick it apart a little bit. All right. Um, We start with the first verse. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Three phrases that he, he pulls out here. Three remembrances. Number one, work of faith. All right. Number two, labor of love. Number three, steadfastness of hope. Remember last week I talked about that 1 Thessalonians is the first book that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And as such, I said, it provides kind of a first look at what the coming attractions will be. I want to show you this this morning uh, by just these three phrases. In Thessalonians, he just kind of briefly throws these, throw these out, but they become major themes in other books that he wrote later on. Uh, The expanded version of work of faith, if you look in Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if you go to the chapter of Ephesians 2, the whole chapter is about you were rescued out of your death into life by faith. And in that faith, you were given grace. And in that grace, then God has prepared works for you to step into. Paul captures this whole thing in this little phrase, work of faith. Okay? Notice it's not a faith of works. It's not you earn your way into the heaven and you gather brownie points and you've got to compete with all the other believers and you knock them aside because you're going to do the biggest work that anybody's ever done and because you've done the work, you get into heaven. No, it's exactly the opposite. You stop doing the works you've done and you start cooperating with the works God wants to do. And most of the time, you will know it's the Lord because you won't want to do it, right? One well, you want to experience God's grace You want to know how to experience God's grace? Here's a great way to do it. Find the things, the dirty things, that other people don't want to do and start doing them. And almost always, uh, you will walk in God's grace. Lean into the things that you don't want to do, that He's told you to do, and you will experience God's grace because you'll know if you accomplished them, it was His grace that did it, not your works. Right? But His grace produces great works. And that's what we've got to keep on. I want to show you this expanded labor of love. How does this roll? This whole thing rolls out into 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this chapter. I'm just going to read. Just let it flow. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Amen? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. And it's not rude does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Probably the greatest chapter that's ever been penned in the history of literature comes out of this phrase that Paul coined here in 1 uh, Thessalonians, labor of love. How love works, how it plays out. And all of us have been stepping into that labor of love all our lives as we've known Christ. One of the most surprising things for people is to realize how bad we are at loving. Most of us think we're really good at it till we get married, Right? And then we start to realize, wow, I am not anywhere close to where I thought I was or where I should be. If you go to the expanded version of the steadfastness of hope, Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, I'm reading a few extra verses because I couldn't get them all on the screen. Reading 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, here's where it picks up on the screen, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. We all love that process so much. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That phrase that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians here, the steadfastness of hope, gets expanded all over uh, the place. Uh, If you go to Hebrews 11, it's known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. But if you read in there, it also is the Hall of Fame of Hope. And that these people, in the hope that God gave them, Uh, Some in great victories and some in incredible defeats hung on to the hope of the better place and the better city that God had for them and that all of their stuff was not complete until we came along. That God's going to wrap it all up and our hope is wrapped in that. There's huge sections in um, Scripture that are pulled out in terms of this steadfastness of hope. In other words, you can't quit. You can't give up halfway through. You can't give up three-quarters of the way through. Regardless of how you feel, you must lean into that grace and keep stepping towards Jesus regardless of the circumstances. Paul expands those things. Isn't that cool? Just off those three little verses, all of that we know in the rest of the Testament came off of those, those verses. Then he goes on to say this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, the whole emphasis on being chosen, there's another word, and uh, you can find incredible places all through the New Testament. The hallmark of that would be Romans 9 through 11, Uh, stands as the absolute central expression of his thought on the sovereignty of God, election, and being chosen in Christ. You could also see Romans 8, Ephesians 1, 2 Peter 1, for starters, uh, in terms of this whole theme. Uh, And unfortunately, we don't have time to run down that trail this morning. I just want to show you these highlights of what Paul's pulling out. But let's consider chosenness this morning from the point of encouragement. What could be possibly more encouraging than to be reminded that despite all the difficulties you are facing right now, at this point in your life, you have been chosen. You weren't found in a garbage dump. You weren't found in a heap. Well, maybe you were, right? Maybe you were in the dumpster of the life of your sin. Maybe you were in the garbage bin of your bad choices. But God chose you. What could be more encouraging than the king of the universe chose you? You ever thought about that? Let that blow your mind for a second. Sorry, 60s phrase, but I live there. What could be more profound than God chose you? In spite of all you're going through. I want to suggest that Paul meant it not as theology in terms of technical expertise. He meant it more in terms of encouragement in this letter. Why? Because they were going through really tough stuff. One of the things that uh, is not in the news is you hear a lot about Boko Haram and um, those attacks. One of the things they're not reporting is that a lot of that is against Christians. This past month, over 40 churches have been burned and destroyed by Boko Haram. You don't hear anything about it's the Christians that are attacking. That group of people needs tremendous encouragement. They need our prayers. But more than anything, they don't, in spite of whatever happens, they have been chosen in Christ and He will see them through and one day will wipe away every tear that ever came on their eyes. Powerful, powerful thing. He has not left you in the midst of difficulty. Rather, He is with you in the midst of of the difficulty. You are still his and loved in spite of the difficulty. You are chosen. Never will he I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I want to suggest that's an anchor to hold on to when all hell breaks loose. All right? When it all blows up. When the worst has happened. That is an anchor, an encouragement we need to hang on to. And then Paul says to Thessalonian church, remember, remember how the gospel came to you. He says it came to you in power. In other words, you saw change. Okay, now in that case, Paul actually worked some miracles. But most of us saw the gospel come to us in power. There was a time when we didn't give Jesus any credence whatsoever. He wasn't even on the radar screen. Or if he was, you know, God was way out there 500 miles away and God did his God things and you did your things and never the twain shall meet. And as long as that was true, it was good. Okay? But when God's power came into your life and you ran into him, when he introduced himself to you personally, when you met him, that came with power. And He's saying, Paul's saying this to the Thessalonian church. It came with power. You felt God's presence. That comes in the form of the Holy Spirit and you felt God's conviction. I would say two ways, both a conviction to move towards Jesus and then away from your sin. Right? Move towards Jesus and away from your sin. And Paul says, you saw all of this in us. The apostle Paul, one of the things about him that I uh, is striking to me is he was incredibly confident in what he was modeling. And he writes about this in numerous different places. That, uh, watch me, this is what a life in Christ should look like. And I want to talk about that for just a second. If you look at the next verses, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonian, and but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we do not need to say anything. What had Paul modeled? Enduring suffering with joy. This is the guy, he and Silas, who got whipped 39 lashes, 40 lashes minus one by the Romans and sat in a jail at midnight singing praise songs to God. When's the last time you did that? Have you ever been able to sing to God in your pain? It's one of the most profound experiences in life when you can get past the hump of the emotional pull to be bitter, to hate, and to rage, and you can actually sit in the jail cell of your life and sing hymns to God. There's an old story about a French uh, underground guy who in World War II was captured by the Nazis and thrown in jail and was chained to the bunk bed in the cell. He said the only thing, he raged against God, and the only thing he could ever see was up at the top of the, the uh, cell was a, you know iron bar window. And uh, every night he could look out and see the stars. And he said, you know, I, I raged against God till I learned to kiss the shackles that bound me. And he said once he was able to kiss the shackles, then he came to peace in God and he was able to worship because he said, you know what? I couldn't see a lot, but I could see the stars. I could see the stars that God had made, and I realized in spite of my personal situation, God still reigns supreme in the universe. Have you been able to sing with joy from your jail cell? Paul did, and that's what he modeled. He modeled knowing the Word of God. Paul was an expert in knowing the Word. He modeled loving people. And this one I think we take for granted with Paul. I don't think Paul was all that great of a people person. Anybody you picked that up, right, reading? Um, I don't think he was all that uh, huggy-fuzzy, okay? I don't think he was, uh, you know, a teddy bear. I think Paul was an alpha-a-dog-go-get-in-my-way-I-run-you-over. And what did he learn to do through his life? Because of the grace of God, he learned to love people. He learned that people were more important than even right ideas. And he learned to love. And he modeled that for the Thessalonian church. He modeled self-reliance to them. He worked hard. They were tent makers. He didn't receive an income off of the ministry, much like I do, uh, of which I'm grateful for. Paul was a tent maker. And, uh, and so they would work And he says often night and day they would work, and while they were working they would share the gospel with people. But I think the thing he modeled the most was a total trust of Christ. You know, this was not Paul said, I know I'm going to have three missionary journeys. I know I'm going to do all these things. I know that this is how God's going to do it. This is what's going to happen in this city in this city in this city. And yeah, some tough things, but you know how Jesus works. It's just all good. There was a lot of chaos in Paul's life. There was a lot of uncertainty. He went to different places and couldn't find a way. And some, many scholars think in 2 Corinthians, he was depressed, clinically depressed. In other places, he had opened doors for many. And the Apostle Paul did not walk through him. The Apostle Paul did not walk through him. And yet, through all of it, he modeled how to trust Christ. And that's what we're doing is looking at this and looking at ourselves and encouraging God to totally trust Christ. And you know, you become like the people you follow. I was thinking about this week and I was thinking about myself and Pastor Jan Hedding. Jan was the pastor at North Shore and he mentored me for 25 years. And so if you don't like how it turned out, blame him. But I remember at one wedding, I was just being particularly insightful I knew the couple, I knew the audience, and you know how as a pastor sometimes you can be deadly sneaky and throw things in that just wallop people, right? And I was just being particularly insightful, and while I was doing this wedding, Jan was kind of in the back, and he was kind of sitting over where Steve and Mindy are sitting, Doug and Lisa over there, and he's writing furiously, right? And I think, oh man, I'm going to get critiqued on this one. And uh, he came up after, and... um, he was just, Steve, that was awesome. And I said, what were you doing? He said, I was taking notes. I said, you were taking notes? Yeah, I said, Steve, that was profound. And I said, Jan, why are you surprised all I'm doing is what you taught me? It was his stuff that I was using. Man, he was taking notes on himself and he didn't even know it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Right? But what had he done? He had modeled it well for me. Right? And, and that is what Paul was doing for the Thessalonian church. Then Paul talks about a great hope. Verses 9-10, through 10, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is the truest statement today, as it, as truest statement today as it was 2,000 years ago. Others were talking. As a matter of fact, they were telling Paul how they had heard how he had been received in Thessalonica. He said, you know, other people are telling me how we've been received by you as a church. We don't even have to tell them how you received us, they're telling us. He said, that's an incredible thing, that's an amazing thing. They had made a huge turn. Instead of surrendering their lives to their lust, they had abandoned that and surrendered them to the kingdom of God. That's what it, by the way, means when you turn from idols and you turn to the living God. You abandon your life of lust, whether it's lust of the flesh, lust of power, lust of money, lust of... You name it. You abandon your idols and you turn to the living God. And that's what he's encouraging the Thessalonian church that they've done. They were now persevering in affliction. Serving the living and resurrected Christ in love and waiting patiently for His return. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Doesn't that sound like us as a church? You know anybody else who's waiting patiently? (whistles) Okay, Jesus, any day now, let's go. Okay, right? We're doing the same thing. We're waiting for Him patiently. The great hope. What was the great hope? That Jesus was returning for them. And would save them from the wrath. When you read wrath there, read hell. The literal word hell. Yes, hell is a real place. God seriously warns everybody to avoid hell. Many people today say there is no hell. Many people today say that God is a God of love and he would never cast anybody into hell. I disagree with them because that's not what scripture says. There says there is a literal hell and it should be avoided at all costs. These people were waiting for a Savior who would save them from the wrath to come. Paul is saying, way to go, Thessalonian church. Way to go. Keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Lord, may we be greatly encouraged this morning. That church is very similar to us. They face a lot of similar things. We've not yet gotten to the place where we get beaten for our faith, but it may not be far away. As we do, may we lean into the grace that's available to us, and may we be greatly encouraged by it. Lord, if someone's discouraged this morning, if someone was here and they were going to quit, or they are fading and they don't know how they can hang on another week, I pray that this morning will be a great encouragement for them to keep hanging on to you no matter what. To be greatly encouraged in you. And Lord, from our prison cells, may you hear us sing. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.